Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Major Crush. Today Lou and I have ventured over to Yachtville and we are at the handwritten tasting room here in Yachtville and we are so excited we get to talk to Philip O'Connor who is the director of handwritten wines. And one thing you notice we are in the tasting room and while it's very educational and people love learning about wine, sometimes you might hear some laughter or some cl clinging of glasses so just to let you know forewarning if you hear people that in the background. I know, darn those people. But Lou, one of the reasons that we wanted to come here is Lou talks about he loves this place, he loves the experience that people have when they come here. So I'm really looking forward to this. Well, I do. You know, people that are coming into the wine country that haven't been here before or maybe once or twice, and they're trying to learn about wine, mm -hmm. It's so important to me that people can understand their palates. Right. You know, like, what are you tasting? Right. And what Philip and the guys at, at Handwritten do is when you walk into this beautiful setting, by the it way, is. I love the fact that we're, we do it in the jail, the original jail for Yachtville. Mm -hmm. I don't know, some, I think Bill or, or Philip told me it was really a drunk tank, but that's okay. <laughs> um, that's another 800 story. square feet, and you have to sit down to these beautiful, um, crystal glasses that are, there's five of them already prepared for them with this gorgeous leather bound menu with their names engraved and it's such a beautiful experience. The presentation. Presentation is just beautiful. And what they do, you know, it gives people a chance to pretty much taste five different AVAs, um, a lot of mountains. And so when they hear uh, people that know about wine discuss a an area, Howell Mountain, or a Stag's Leap, or a, or a Spring Mountain wine, now you sort of know what you're talking about. And the opportunity to drink five or six uh, wines of this quality mm. never happens, mm -hmm. except for here. Yeah. I don't know any other place, and it's Very this few. relaxed setting, and I don't know what you did, Philip, but, but I want to hear about it, and I want to find out what you did, because this is such an incredible experience and everybody that I brought here when we're walking out, they just go, oh my gosh, they love it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much and thank you Meredith and Lou for having me on today. It's really uh, always a pleasure to, to share my passion for wine and uh, all things Napa Valley for yeah. sure. We're lucky. Uh, you know, to be here in the heart of Yonville, to really feel the pulse of, of Napa Valley and uh, to get to, to host, uh, you know, wonderful guests and friends, you know, to me is always such a pleasure. Uh, wine is many things to many people, but one of the special things for me is that it's really this nexus of, of culture and art and uh, of yeah. science. It really brings all these things together. And, and I think that's where the educational component really elevates a wine tasting experience because one person may really be into the, the romantic stories behind a vineyard yeah. while someone else may be into the science of growing grapes and, and, and being able to kind of pr provide that educational environment uh, is really neat. So you're important. speaking to everyone. Every, everyone's yeah. going to walk out learning a little something. To, and Absolutely, I like the way you're yeah. kind of weave and integrate all that into into the time people have here. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, and one of the, it's kind of precious, uh, and I take that as kind of almost a responsibility, but people are here on their vacations, they're, you know, spending their time with us, and for, for me, it's really an opportunity 
to enrich their lives mm-hmm. and, and to that's really, what I love. Yeah. So important. I love that. Yeah. And the and the whole concept of handwritten. Read that little paragraph that you oh, wrote so about handwritten. I was on. I was looking at the web website, and I love what you say on there. But you have the thing about why it's called handwritten. I assume is what right. it is. But yep. this Absolutely. speaks to me. And one of the things we didn't we hadn't talked to you about yet is I kind of come from wine and wellness, how the two integrate. So this really spoke to me on that. And returning to a simpler time when artisans crafted and nurtured their wine without the pressure of a release date. You yearn for a time when notes and letters were written with pen and paper when one had to patiently wait for their arrival. Perhaps you recall what it was like to sit down and read an anticipated letter from a loved one. We hope that this is the feeling you remember when you enjoy a bottle of handwritten. Yeah, I think that's such a powerful, and again, it I don't know what, it just speaks to something more than wine. It speaks to the soul. I always, you know, we talk sometimes about people come to Napa and you're here and you're in this moment. And the best thing is when you buy that wine and then you're back home somewhere, it can transplant you or transport you right back to being back in Napa, sharing that bottle with yeah. loved one, with friends, yeah. with the people you met in wine country. So I this... get so many pictures of friends that'll be sitting yes. in front, you know, their dinner table and they take a picture there, their handwritten wine bottles there. Guess what we're doing? Yeah, I love it. Yeah, they automatically think of that special time they had together, and I think that's why more and more uh, what we do here in Napa is so revolved around the experience. And I think that uh, that's something uh, that's a a little bit of a a shift in the industry, but is so uh, so important to to where we're going. We're really excited because. Uh, we uh, we got the opportunity to uh, actually build a new tasting space that'll be I've been watching yeah open by the end of the year and just to be able to design a space around this notion of experience and taking wow. this wine tasting thing to the next level uh, is really exciting so how did you get the idea though I mean to break out of the pack you know everything in Napa is like you said you go into a tasting room you stand at the bar you drink four or five sips of their varietals, and sure, yeah. you know you don't do the science, you don't do the art. There's no romance. What made you? What gave you that idea? I think you know the way uh, the way handwritten was started. Uh, really, the um, from the very beginning, the the owners and, and the winemaker wanted to do something a little bit different, and, and even the model of how we get our wines out there. We're, we're not in any wholesale distribution. We're not in restaurants right. or wine shops. So for us, it's really about the connection to the people that ultimately bring home our wines and share it with their friends. And and so you know, we really put a lot of thought into how do we create you know, memories that will last a lifetime to, to create raving fans of our wines that will, uh, you know, that, that will be with us for forever. And uh, I think that, that we, we started down that road a number of years ago. And, um, you know, uh, our sister winery, Jessup Cellars, was one of the very first tasting rooms that in kind of a more urban setting, they were in, in downtown Yonville. So when you, when you take away uh, the, the vineyard views and the uh-huh. caves and stuff, you know, for us, what, what's left is to create an incredible hospitality experience. Yeah, yeah, good point. Yeah. And you guys incorporate beautiful art. Exactly. 
and mm -hmm. some really unique little tasting pairings and it's just absolutely amazing. Yeah. Philip, I think it would be really interesting for to share with our listeners the origin story of how handwritten came to be. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we kind of came out of another winery, uh, Jessup Cellars. Terrific uh, wines. Yeah, yeah, great place, you guys. You have to poke your heads in and, and enjoy Jessup Cellars. Yeah, really neat. Wonderful staff. Always voted one of the friendliest staffs yeah. in, in, in Napa. So certainly a great place for us to start and some nice pedigree to come from. Yeah. But, uh, you know, the... Uh, the three families that owned Jessup at the time uh, wanted to just do something a little bit different, but ultimately, you know, uh, create a winery that was personal and intimate and had that real uh, kind of, you know, a winery on a human level. Mm -hmm. and, and so uh, they actually, they met our winemaker, Rob Lloyd, and just loved everything that he was yeah, doing. Why wouldn't yeah, you? Yeah, <laughs> he's just a talented, incredibly God, talented incredible. uh, guy. And, uh, with vision and so they re really wanted to empower him to to kind of do what he wanted to do to make the wines that he wanted to make and so uh, you know handwritten was this this little side project that started and, and really took a life of its own oh, wow. and, and took a, a huge amount of importance I think in in the lives of uh, every of everyone involved and uh, it's been uh, 10 years now so it started in in 2009 which okay. was our first vintage uh, and we're just incredibly uh, grateful that we've been able to build a community of like-minded people that love wine and yeah. uh, and everything that kind of handwritten evokes, you know, that kind of more yeah. Uh, yeah. crafted, old-timey stuff. And yeah. weren't, just, weren't, they, weren't the founders, are they, were they doctors or something? From, yeah. From like South Dakota? or there, There's four <laughs> families, crazy, right? uh, absolutely, yeah. And uh, two from Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Sioux Falls, yeah. They're all great buddies, though. And, and so, um, and they call themselves kind of the accidental vintners because, uh, yeah, they, you know, they used to love coming out here and they ended up uh, investing in a little winery, Jessup Cellars, and uh, before they knew it, they, uh, they owned it. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Well, that's so, probably where the human comes in, though. They're yeah. all like passionate and humanitarian and physicians and absolutely yeah I that's think kind of a cool combo a natural connection i think between I like health it. and wine yeah. i mean well, maybe I i'm just biased no i support like i definitely support health and wine and wellness all can go together yeah <laughs> absolutely Start, start talking about some of your wines. Absolutely, yeah. No, this is a, a favorite of mine. This is the 2014 uh, Stag's Lead Cabernet Sauvignon. Uh, so it's one of five Cabernets that we do every year. Uh, all of our cabs are 100% uh, Cabernet Sauvignon from no more than two acres of vines again. So really small production. Um, and we just love that uh, each kind of AVA, each vineyard, each plot really in the Napa Valley can tell its own story, it has its own kind of sure. perspective. And so um, this is uh, always one of my favorites. Stag's Leap certainly has uh, the name recognition. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
Most but, people recognize Stag's Leap for sure. Absolutely. But it's it's also, I mean, when you think of the perfect place to grow Cabernet, Stag's really checks off pretty much every box Whoa, you can imagine. Share did, what those yeah, are. We, share our, what last, those... our last podcast was on the Judgment of Paris. Yeah. Sure. And, and Stag's Leap is who put California literally in the wine business. Right. Yeah. Recognize the world wide. But I think it's yeah. important because I don't know if all, all, all of our listeners even mean what is it about Stag's Leap that makes it produce? You know, we talk about our season one is dirty crush. So we like to sure. talk about the char and then and also the parlays into the climate and those things. Sure. So tell, tell our listeners a little bit about what makes Stag's Leap Stag's, Stag's so Leap. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, Obviously, when it comes to you know a, a vineyard site being special, there's a thousand variables. But of course. I, I think when you're looking at stags, the the positioning within the valley is really special. It's right in the heart of the valley, so you get a little bit of fog influence, but mm -hmm. that quickly dissipates in the morning. Uh, the next is the aspect. So wow. you're on the Vaca mountain range, and uh, most of the vineyards of Stags Leap are on a pretty steep hill facing yeah. directly due west. Okay. And so they're gonna get the sunshine in the afternoon when oh. when the valley is at its hottest. So you get that combination of sun and heat. For Cabernet, which is a thicker skin grape varietal, it just loves that. And what it really does, it helps to thicken the skins a little bit, uh, but ultimately in the wine it creates uh, depth and length. Mm. And, and for me, a quality Cabernet needs to have both of those. This wine is is very subtle tannins. Absolutely. I thought it would just, you know, from if if I had it for listeners listening to you describe it, I would think it would just parch my palate. Yeah, well it's funny you mentioned that. They they actually they call Stag's Leap Cab the iron fist in the velvet glove. And I love that connotation because I did not know that. Yeah. These are really big, rich wines, but they, the, the edges, they, they tend to be so rounded and elegant. And I love a wine Sweet that- description. Yeah. Perfect. This I love the wine. wine that just balances power and finesse in a way like this wine does. It oh, really I wish everybody up. listening to this podcast would be drinking a glass of this Stag's Leap handwritten. For sure. Unbelievable. pour a little bit of this wine. Yeah, as Philip pours us in that little bit more of wine. Tell us about some of the other AVAs that uh, you are growing grapes on and making these fantastic wines from. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're really excited in this, uh, in our next release, uh, the 2016 Vintage. We're actually working with a few new AVAs for oh. our program. Uh, we're going to be getting a Cabernet Sauvignon off of Howell Mountain. Okay. Um, oh, yeah, really excited. Yeah. A beautiful site up there. Uh, Mount Veeder and Rutherford. Okay. So those are kind of the newcomers. Uh, but our classic lineup is uh, Carneros, which is pretty unusual. Yeah. It's unusual. For yeah. a cab, for sure. Which I absolutely adore. You know, having a background as a sommelier, I just think the Carneros is a special wine, especially for food pairing. And so you're um, making cab out of Carneros. Yeah, and yeah. so for listeners, if you don't, typically Carneros is known for growing Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. Very yeah, few sure. cabs come out of there. So. Yeah, I think if we're any. one of only three. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. yeah so yeah. it's pretty cool for sure. 
Uh, we also do an oak knoll, a, uh, a stag's leap, a calistoga, and a coombsville. Coombsville. So that's the most recent new AVA. Absolutely. 2010, 2011. That 2011, was I think, was the first year you could put it on the label. Um, it, this is one of the more exciting areas of Napa wine right now. I think, you know, there were, it was always a place where you could grow beautiful fruit, but because it didn't have its own ABA, you know, mm -hmm. you didn't hear a lot about this, uh, the space, the the site in, in particular. Now that it ha has its own ABA and you can kind of market it, you're seeing a lot of smaller producers actually um, growing and making their own wines. And there's really some of the most stunning wines that I've had in the last few months. I love driving up there. Yeah. And that's all you see are small boutique vineyards. Mm -hmm. and I, I don't know boutique, but, but small. small yeah. 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 And are they mostly Cabernet Sauvignon coming out of there? A little bit of everything. Okay. It's a really unique terroir because uh, much like Stag's Leap, you have this western exposure, pretty uh, you know severe hillsides facing west. Okay. And, but um, it, because it's further south and you, you almost have a direct path to, uh, to the bay, you mm. get some maritime influence as well. And I heard, yeah. it, it, is Palmaz in Coombsville? Palmaz is in Coombsville, Caldwell. And up at Kenzo, the new big boy up at the top. Yeah. Well, you know, Palmaz, when I was there, they said out of 33 soils that are in the, in the wine country of the world, 23 of them are on Coombsville. Yeah. The, I don't, I yeah. didn't realize it's that. It's like Pomerol. You know, like every there's a new a new soil every six feet or something. You know. Yeah, that's pretty crazy, and the, the diversity uh, in soil types in Napa is, is uh, unparalleled in the in the world, it really, is. which is unique for sure. But uh, Coombsville is definitely uh, an exciting region to watch for sure. Tannin management, you guys <laughs> nail it. And, you know, why isn't this wine big, heated, tiny grapes, thick skins? I mean, big grapes with thick skins. Why isn't is this Stag's Leap not just parching my palate? Yeah, no, that's a, a phenomenal question. I think, you know, when you're talking about tannins, there there's really is a difference between the quantity of tannins and the quality of tannins. And, it's such and, an important point. Yeah. Such an important point. Uh, I think a lot of people miss that, especially when they're trying to describe wines that they like. I think a lot of people like bigger wines, mm -hmm. but they don't necessarily want it to dry your mouth out, you know? Oh, like mm -hmm. you drives me crazy. Yeah, and that's just kind of a lack of balance. So, you know, when you're talking about a wine like Stag's Leap, it's always gonna have a lot of tannins, but it's it's the way that we can capture the softer side of tannin that's really important. I think Rob does an incredible job of that, really allowing the, the tannins, the phenolics uh, structures uh, in, in the grapes, in the vineyards themselves, to get ripe enough uh, so, um, so that when we're in the winery, we're able to really kind of manage the... the so he does it on the vine versus yeah. in the, in yeah, the winery. Yeah, he does a little bit of, of both, actually. And he, he does have a, a very innovative and unique way of, of fermentation. He does, yeah. He does a really unique 
uh, kind of technique called submerged cap fermentation. Submerged cap? Yes. C-A-P? Okay. Yep. So we, we kind of shortened it to subcap. And it's a, um, it's a technique that's been kind of around for a long time, but never really employed in this manner. And certainly he's kind of perfected it. Uh, and essentially, you know, with, with red wine, instead of doing the more traditional uh, punch downs, which is basically pushing that cap down into the juice and really creating maceration that way. Or pour overs. Or, yeah, pump overs, where you're drawing the juice from the bottom of the tank and you're spraying it back on top uh, and, and you're percolating, you know, the, the juice through the cap. Uh, this is more of like a French press coffee, if you will. I love hmm. it. Yeah. So it's really cool. And so he like, did he press it down about a third or something? Yeah, he's actually had to custom build these stainless steel screens to fit into our open top fermenters because they just, they didn't exist. Oh, I've never heard of it. Yeah, and so uh, as fermentation starts, he pushes the cap, uh, all the solids underneath the juice, only to about a foot or two underneath the juice. He'll lock in this screen, and so uh, all of the solids remain submerged. Well, it's actually a much more gentle process. Yeah, yeah. I would think. Absolutely, because when you think of uh, punch down or pump over, they're very mechanical mm -hmm. uh, in terms of the processes that are going on. So you're breaking open skins and seeds, mm -hmm. and, and that's where you get a lot of, especially the harsher tannic elements are gonna come from the oh, middle yeah. of seeds right. and stuff of like course. that. So, so right away we're able to uh, kind of extract an incredible amount of aromatics, an incredible amount of body um, and color without necessarily taking some of the bigger, harsher mm. tannic elements. And just, I think again, I always like to take it and make it very, for people who don't always know the terms that we hear every day because we're in wine country, but cap management, just explain, the cap is ba you know basically the grape, the grape and the musk. Explain for people yeah. just a little bit more about that, because I do think we take it for granted that we know what that means, because yeah. we're out here in wine country, and I don't know if everyone necessarily For sure. Does. Yeah, well, so kind of the 101 of, of red winemaking, you know, the thing to really, uh, to stress is that all the good stuff is going to be found in the skins of the grape. Yeah. Mm. In fact, if you just press a, a grape like Pinot Noir, for instance, the juice is going to be clear, much like you have with champagne. So the, the color, the tannins, a lot of the aromatics are going to be extracted from the skins. Well, the problem arises uh, during fermentation, the yeast are releasing CO2, and the gas actually lifts all of the solids so they, uh, they form what's called a cap. The cap. Big solid hunk of all that stuff, and it just kind of floats on top of the juice. So you're getting very little contact between the skins and the juice. And so that's where cap management comes into play. We want to make sure that we're mixing uh, the, all of those great solids back into the juice so that you're actually getting... Uh, oh, listen, I've been in the winery with a big broom handle with a flat and pushing those skins down <laughs> into the juice all night long. Oh, yeah. yeah. It works muscles you didn't even know yeah. you had. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, nice I mean, that's basically where when people oxide. think of, I always think of, you know, the scene from I Love Lucy or everyone thinks yeah. about harvest is people in barrels with their feet stomping grapes is kind of cap management in a lot Absolutely. of ways, right? Yeah, that was the old school way to do it. And I mean, there's still places in Portugal where they use that lagars and like mm -hmm. the, the old way of doing it but you know we've uh, we've come a long way which is so crazy to think of how ancient winemaking is and we're still True. thinking of yeah. new and innovative ways to make it better which True. is i just absolutely love but
So Philip, being, being in handwritten and doing the handwritten experience, it's like the magical mystery tour. And again, I'm so excited about my friends and family and, and that learning the distinctions between AVAs and, and regions for growth. Yeah. Take us in your, in, in, in how you created, take us through your sites, your AVAs that you do, and, and share with us what you've learned are the subtle differences and things that we could, li we could taste for and, and smell for in these wines. Absolutely, I think that kind of goes to the heart of the story and you know, the main reason why we do what we do with Handwritten is the, that Napa is a story of many different places. variety of microclimates, uh, incredible variety of elevation and soil types that really, depending on where you're growing, even one grape like Cabernet, it can express itself so incredibly different. So, um, you know, one thing with Handwritten that we've noticed is that we, uh, that the, our winemaker Rob um, really looks for more hillside and mountain sites um, because they tend to be a little bit more expressive. I think, you know, when you're down on the valley floor, there's some fabulous vineyard sites, and don't get me wrong, there's incredible wines being made there, but I think there's a certain, the, the richness of the soil and um, the, the way that uh, water kind of collects down at the, the, the valley floor, you, you tend to get a little bit more uniformity uh, between Maybe. the sites. Yeah, and, and I, I think, you know, when you get into the mountains, there's a lot of different things going on, especially when you get above the fog line, you're seeing uh, much more sunlight and the, the accumulation of, of warmth uh, is vastly different uh, up at elevation than it is down in the valley. But I kind of have a, a little bit of a different take on what makes mountain uh, sites so special. And I think it comes to, oddly enough, kind of a more logistical question. Because down on the valley floor, you know, the, the farmers can, can put tractors through their vines and almost everything now, we have such great technology in the vineyards that everything is almost, can be automated if you'd like. But when you get up into your in your mountainside vineyards up on top of Mount Peter or Howell Mountain, you can barely drive a truck up there, not to say a tractor. Yeah. And so everything has to be done by hand, you know, so you've got the, the hands of the vineyard workers touching every vine, every grape, the, every every process exactly throughout the whole year they're much more in tune with the vineyards and I think that the human component yeah the, absolutely that byproduct of that I think is uh, that that the wines the grapes uh, end up being more expressive and the wines kind of tell their story uh, in in a more intense way. I and maybe I'm just kind of. It's no, a, I, think I that makes love this. So I've much always sense. wondered why I love Mount Rushmore. That makes yeah. so much sense to me. It's crazy. One of the the cool things about Napa is that uh, we do have two different mountain ranges, and they mm. were created by different geological forces at yeah. different geological time periods. So imagine the differences in soil types and all that stuff. 
but you know, depending on whether you're on the west side of the valley or the east, you're going to get just a completely different uh, expression of, of even the same grape like cast. Hmm. Crazy. Yeah. So fascinating. So you do you do a couple of Bordeaux blends, right? We do one actually, and that's the only blend that we do every year. Other than that, uh, any one, uh, all of our other wines are a hundred percent one grape variety, oh. variety and uh, from one. When you do your Bordeaux blend, where do you source your? What is it, Merlot? Yeah. Cab. Uh, so we've kind of settled on a general mix of uh, Cabernet Franc, uh, usually around 55%, uh, 40% Cabernet Sauvignon, 5% Petit Bordeaux. It certainly depends on the year and what, what fruit is coming out uh, mm -hmm. nicely. Uh, in the past, we've actually sourced this particular wine from all up and down the valley. And uh, the reason for that is uh, we kind of make our, our Bordeaux blends in a very unique way. Uh, unlike most blends which are blended after the wine is already yeah. made, you get your beaker and you're figuring yeah. out your percentages, uh, this wine's actually uh, blended in the vineyard, if you will. Really? Rob, yeah. Wow. Rob's Holy going out, tasting that. the different yeah. grapes. Uh, he, he selects sites that uh, not only complement each other, even though they are different grapes, but more importantly, they'll ripen at the same time. So he picks all of these grapes on the same day. They go into one tank and ferment together. They're so, co-fermented. Yeah. So it's a, a blend that's kind of decided out in the vineyard, but really forged through fermentation. I think it, it provides a unique kind of harmony and balance to the That wine. is well, crazy. Well, it gives the grapes longer to integrate together. Exactly right. So they start right. integrating together yep. from the very beginning. The only question with that is how fast can people get out here to try that? Yeah. Well, and it's quite a skill. I mean, uh, I've, I've begged Rob to, to show me his secrets. Uh, and he, he's, I think, just letting me into uh, under the veil there. But, it, it, you know, be able to taste the grapes and really kind of forecast in your mind what that's going to be like in a wine and, and yeah. what that might pair with in terms of other grapes, is it's pretty unique. So That's it's a fun wine that really we work cool. with. Really yeah. cool. You know, they say there's horse whispers. That yeah. Is he kind of a vine whisperer? Oh, in many ways, yeah. <laughs> Sounds like it. <laughs> He's one of the very few uh, winemakers I've worked with in my life that uh, has a master's degree in both enology and in viticulture. So I think wow. he really does view his role not only as a winemaker, but as the farmer as well, so. That is unique. Yeah. That's that's, that must be part of these great wines. So we drove by the new uh, facility, uh, which is absolutely gorgeous, which I'm not surprised at. Yeah, isn't yeah. it beautiful? Natural wood. Yeah. You know what that wood is? It's actually, the siding is clad in uh, reused uh, old redwood wine vats. Really? No. Yes. It's gorgeous. <gasps> yeah. So they cut down these these huge redwood wine vats. Uh, it looks beautiful on the outside. It catches a, your eye. Yeah. On a hot day, it smells like we're we're making wine in there. Yeah. Like there. There's still <laughs> some wine like deep inside the pores. So. That's perfect. Yeah. Absolutely. I think it you know it goes speaks to to what we're all about, which is. You know that kind of a little bit more that reclaimed artisan look. It, mm -hmm. I think fits with our our uh, motto. So. Well, tell us about the next chapter. What do you, uh, what do you, what do you think you're you're seeing, and what's your hopes and dreams on that? Yeah. Well, I think you know I, I touched on this a little bit earlier, but uh, I think that the the 
the experience of tasting wine in Napa is evolving into something more personal. You know, uh, people instead of doing six wineries a day want to do one, mm. two, maybe three. And, and so, you know, we got this great opportunity to design a space around the next kind of frontier of, yeah. of tasting. And, and we want to really, we look at this tasting room as a groundbreaking uh, adventure into the <laughs> next, you know, what, are we, what, what does wine tasting look like in the next decade? And so, you know, there's not going to be the, the wine bar where people can just walk up and stand there. We Good. want every experience to be cool. exceptional, memorable, remarkable. Good. Um, and so, you know, the big challenge for us is going from little 300 square foot tasting room that, that has intimacy uh, built in. Yeah, and, and that's how what I was we, worried yeah. about. Yeah. Um, and so, but, but we've really kind of taken on that challenge and um, e even the design of the building itself there's not one massive room it's really broken up uh, into small little nooks and and, and we're gonna keep uh, our kind of dedication to that uh, that private experience that real uh, intimate elevated uh, tasting experience to and I think we're honestly gonna bring it to the next level uh, one of the things that uh, we're afforded with this new space is a, a full kitchen. So oh. we're developing, I think, a pretty uh, unique culinary program. Oh. Yeah, and it's not something we, we didn't want to do, you know, like you're going to a restaurant or anything sure. like yeah. that. I wanted, my idea was to take like little moments, little bites that have had a profound effect on me. Uh, super simple, but just, you know, source really great products and, and, and offer that. Not to give away too much, Ooh. but one of the things That's a that, teaser. yeah, That's we're teasing, this is, yeah. Uh, we're, I think one of uh, the, the culinary experiences that almost everyone will, will get to experience is our bread and butter tasting. Oh, and, you know, who, sign me up yeah. right now. We all know that. Everybody's like, that keto diet. That incredible bite of a fresh baguette with Ooh. like oh. European butter, you know. So oh. we're gonna, uh, we're hoping to, to partner up with one of the great bakeries, Bouchon or Model here in Napa. Uh, source some beautiful butters from, uh, from my wife or from any local uh, dairy uh, and really take something as simple as bread and butter and elevate it to like you know a mind-blowing status. I'm already <laughs> drooling over Gosh, here. We love, we love handwritten so much now I can't even imagine where it's gonna go. Yeah so we're really excited about that. Uh, there's a big beautiful courtyard. There's so many wonderful things we can do. We're gonna have uh, a little, we're, we're definitely going to have a music experience um, uh, and uh, the sky's the limit. Well, you do so. these terrific concert art, you know, gatherings at night. They're, they're so much fun. I love it. I kind of just, Meredith, we have a crush. I have a huge crush. Lou, you always lead us to these amazing spots. And that comes from driving in the valley so Well, yeah, but you, the... you find some of the best ones, I gotta say. And yeah. I am... We got I'm totally crush crushing on, on this wine. Yeah, we're crushing on the wine. We're wine, crushing yes. on handwritten. And your wife, who we haven't met yet, but just... She's the one that really deserves yeah. to be crushed on. Yeah, oh, we're sure. totally so, crushing on her. So thank you so much, thank brother. You. It was really such a pleasure. cool time with you. Thank you. Right on. Cheers. Cheers.
Thanks for joining Meredith and Lou for another amazing California wine country experience in this episode of Major Crush. We really want to thank Philip O'Connor and everyone at Handwritten Wines for sharing their story with us and with all of our listeners. We've included information about this beautiful winery in our show notes, along with the name of the wine we tasted while we were chatting with Philip, so be sure to check those out when you get a chance. By the way, in case you're curious, the new Handwritten Wines tasting room is scheduled to open by the end of 2019 or early 2020, so be sure to keep your eye on their website so you can be one of the first people to schedule a tasting at this one-of-a-kind place in the Napa Valley. One more show note. Meredith and Lou briefly mentioned Philip's wife, and that's because she has an interesting story to add to the handwritten story that's uniquely Philip's. So we have a special bonus episode where Philip gets more personal about his life and background, and he tells Meredith and Lou a little bit about his wife's incredibly interesting life as a cheesemonger. So don't forget to check out the Handwritten Wines bonus episode of Major Crush. Major Crush.